and listen. This episode of Making a Difference and every episode moving forward will honor the life and legacy of my dear brother, James Macon. James had a way of telling the truth that endeared him to family and made him respected by his friends and peers. That standard is now my gift and my burden of responsibility. Long live St. James. A lot has happened since I last left you. I had another child. I lost my brother and, man, a lot has happened since I last left you. Even with all the time away from you, though, I never stopped watching. I never stopped listening. I had some occasional outlets where I expressed how I felt about the world. But even as I've done all these commentaries and spoken with people and tried to live life, it became painfully apparent to me that Collectively, we do a terrible job of accepting the realities of the present. And I certainly understand that the interpretation of reality is different based on race, religion, gender, so many different factors. Still, even with all of those distinctions, we are not entirely, or if we're being real, close to honest about the conditions of the world that we live in. And I do plan to deal with that in great detail. But before we have that discussion, I just want to ask a simple question. What is real? How do you define real? If you're talking about what you can feel, what you can smell, what you can taste and see, then real is simply electrical signals interpreted by your brain. This is the world that you know. The world as it was at the end of the 20th century. It exists now only as part of a neural interactive simulation that we call the Matrix. You've been living in the dream world, Neo. This is the world as it exists today. What can I say? Things are real ugly and I am ready to deal with the reality of that ugliness. With that said, making a difference is not a program that strictly focuses on the problems. It is committed to resolving problems and finding solutions. And that is exactly what I plan to do today. The real is back. Um, To be a Negro Negro in this country and to be um, relatively conscious is to be in a state of rage. Almost, almost all of the time. You wonder why I spit the truth, but not to make no dope. To make a difference. Welcome to Making a Difference. I'm your host, Ken Macon. Just glad, first and foremost, that you decided to press play. There is a lot of stuff that's going on in the world, a lot of other places and, you know, efforts where you could have spent your energies and you're spending it with me. So I always appreciate that. We'll never take that for granted. There's a lot that can be talked about um, underneath the umbrella 
of talking about the real. It's kind of a, I guess it was more of an existential introduction, but I'll be more specific in talking about some of the issues of the day and how we can resolve them. I know there are a lot of different things that can be addressed that should be addressed. I know as we're talking about this in the present, you know, we're thinking about, um, you know, these high profile trials that are taking place. Um, the trial uh, related to the death or the murder of Ahmaud Arbery. Um, just uh, recently, there was a decision that was made um, with in, in regards to the Kyle Rittenhouse trial and a quote that I largely agree with and I think encapsulates both of these trials is um, by W.B. Du Bois, and that is a system cannot fail those it was never meant to protect. Now, it's it would be easy to take that quote and then to go back to a state of nothingness. If we accept the fact that the system is not designed to protect us, then what we need is a new system. So the question then becomes, what efforts are we taking to create that new system? I got a Facebook message the other day from someone who sent me a flyer uh, from a local um, Republican Party. Uh, they were getting ready to have a meeting about critical race theory and basically wanting to misinform <laughs> people about their interpretation of CRT and what it would mean for our school systems. And so this individual sent me the flyer and said, well, Ken, what are we going to do about this? And my response was profoundly simple. Uh, it was mobilize and organize. Now, that answer, of course, is profoundly simple, but in practice, it is exceedingly difficult. But the fact remains that the work must be done. And as I've talked about, you know, I've been watching and I've been listening and I've been looking. What has become painfully apparent, among other things, is that the GOP, the right wingers, whatever name you want to give these individuals, I will just simply call them on the whole white supremacists simply because of the ideologies that they protect and they preserve. They're doing a really good job of not only co-opting language, but creating language in the present that works for their interests. I think of an otherwise cornball phrase like, let's go, Brandon. And I'm watching how that simple phrase can be used as a rallying cry and a sign of disrespect. It is ironic in the same world, you know, that we think of make America great again and what that phrasing means. It is ironic and disappointing the inability to be able to create and control language in a way where it's politically advantageous to black people. Now, to be clear, we create culture. We are innovators in that way. But the difference between creating that culture and not even so much monetizing it, but wielding it with the type of power that can change our collective situation. It just seems like we largely have that. We don't have that ability is what I'm saying. Now, I get it. The reason why right wingers and such are able to control language is because they have the outlets to dictate it, whether it be political office, whether it be media outlets. And all of these things are, to be sure, are functions of money and having so much more money than um, their opponents. 
And this is, again, just a function of things that we're dealing with in the present. But another function of making a difference is this is a show that really focuses on uh, African-Americans and focuses on the black agenda. So when I look at what the GOP is doing with language and how they're, you know, controlling rhetoric, I have to ask what that means for African-Americans. And for many of us, it is and and I'll just put it this way. I really want to have that discussion within the context of the school board and what CRT really means and how that term is really being used to discourage the accurate teaching of American history in public schools overall and how that creates a destiny for the country or not even so much a destiny. It continues to manifest destiny of this country. Critical race theory. Now you've heard about this a lot on the news and all these different types of things. And it's okay to admit that you don't know what the hell critical race theory is. (laughs) This is a safe space. To understand critical race theory, you first have to understand critical theory. Critical theory is any approach to social philosophy that focuses on reflective assessment and critique of society and culture in order to reveal and challenge power structures. Let's make that perfectly clear. It's challenging how people behave and conduct themselves and a rifle critique of that based on history as a means of challenging the establishment. The difference between critical theory and critical race theory is that the interjection, the rifle interjection of race and law within the context of understanding how people behave and how that information can be used to challenge power structures. This is not about making white people feel bad, even though It will make white people feel bad and it should make white people feel bad, to be perfectly clear. But this is about challenging the establishment. And as it relates to public education in this country and the propagandist nature of education, it's about simply challenging what it is that children have been taught historically in this country. Now, to be clear, this is a war that's being waged in the realm of public education. This war is not being waged in private education because in private education, parents are largely paying to (laughs) have their kids taught whatever it is they want them to be taught. And so they will put them in private schools accordingly. But as I come back to the African-American agenda, we don't always have that luxury because we don't always have the money or more often than not, we don't have the money. So that is where it is incumbent upon myself and others to wage the war. And I won't even say wage the war. I will say to have a radical response. And I understand exactly what I mean when I say that term radical response to what it is that's already happening. The reason why I don't fear the word radical is because my contention has always been there has to be a radical response to a systemic wrong. And so as we and I would just say within the context of this program, because I understand society is a larger, um, you know, wider web that you have to deal with. But don't be afraid of the word radical because the word radical implies change. And what we can all be sure about is that change is coming. Change is going in one direction or the other. Time doesn't stand still. And so it goes with society. And that's why. The right wingers are winning because they're always looking for every way 
to dictate and control the conversation. And they really, and within the framework of that effort to dictate uh, control and create narratives, there is no imagination. It is because radical is also a term that's used in mathematics. There's also another term that's used in mathematics and that term is irrational. And there's no rational behavior as it relates to politics in this country. And so with that understanding, as the great Malcolm X put it, by any means necessary. You know, some people and I sh- and I should be and let's let's be perfectly clear, because, again, this is an episode where we're, where we're being real. I am done um, debating the merits of individuals. Well, I'll, I'll put it this way. America does not see Malcolm X in a favorable in a favorable way. And it's natural for America not to see Malcolm X in a favorable way, because Malcolm X is one of those individuals who challenged America, who challenged white supremacy, who challenged laws that um, keep uh, laws that keep a foot on black people's necks. It is easier to co-opt the words of a Martin Luther King. This is of no slight to Martin Luther King. It's easier to co-opt the things that he said in the 50s and in the mid 60s than it is to co-opt the stuff that he said in 1966, 1967, 1968. And so that's why you don't hear about the Dr. King of Memphis. And that's why you don't hear about the Dr. King who spoke out against Vietnam. You hear about Dr. King from 1963 because it is easy to co-opt the I have a dream speech. And that's why that is the speech that you hear. But back to the issue at hand, because I want to be focused here and I want to be decisive here, because what's going on in the school board, whether you have kids or not, affects you because I too believe that the children are the future. And so if you allow children to be whatever it is that you instill in children, whatever it is that you put in children, understand that that becomes the destiny of a child is that repetition over five years, over the following three years, over the following four years. And so before you know it, you have a child who, you know, in just under 20 years has been indoctrinated into a system that doesn't care about them. That, Uh, As it relates to a black child, uh, they're treated as second class. And as it relates to working class children, um, they're all, you know, there's a a spirit of assimilation. That's why I was just, you know, it was important for me to use um, the commentary from Morpheus, because as much as we talk about race and as much as I talk about race, I'm also understanding that there has to be a component of class as it relates to wealth, as it relates to working class, poor class, um, you know, the uh, well-to-do, um, the rich, the extremely wealthy, there must be a race class uh, collective component. And when you in- incorporate um, class into those discussions, uh, it makes uh, dialogue about school boards and such. These um, commentary or I should say the things that happening that are happening um, become you're just able to make more sense of it. My response to the Republican Party um, having a want to have a dialogue about CRT, um, the simple response for me in that moment is to organize with entities who profess to have um, a concern for black people, who profess to have a concern for the working class. And if those outlets aren't present, then it is incumbent upon people like myself and as well as me to create those outlets um, and the local Republican Party, I'll just be perfectly clear, is Aiken County. The Aiken County Republican Party wants to 
have this commentary about CRT. So I am not relying on the Aiken County Democratic Party to come back. I'm not even so much relying on the NAACP. I am saying this is a challenge for myself and for others in this community to say, what is it that we need to do to not allow to push back on this this misinformation? What is it that we need to do to not allow um, misinformation and dangerous rhetoric to be spread out to the masses? Because here's what happens when you do that. And this is the interesting thing about Donald Trump is that the there there's a culture that's associated with Trump and it is bigger than Trump to be sure. But it's just easy to put his name on it, because as soon as I say Donald Trump, you know exactly what the hell I'm talking about. Trump's not president. Trump's been out of office for a while, but doesn't it feel like he won? It feels like he won because of the rhetoric and the actions that surround this camp that have surrounded his campaign. And it is a continuing campaign. It is a perpetual campaign that in conjunction with the cultural lack of accountability for the actions of his cultish followers. The lack of accountability is the thing, and it is how I feel about uh, the Republican Party and their thoughts on CRT. There's got to be a shift. If you are associated with school boards or if you're affiliated with public education in any way, you cannot allow the discussion to be about critical race theory because you are being trolled in the way of CRT. CRT is being used as a buzzword to entirely discourage the accurate teaching of American history. To CRT is being used to discourage the fact that black history is not something that you need to interject in the in a curriculum during the month of February. It is something that should be a perpetual part of their curriculum, which was the original intent of Black History Month anyway. And so that is a social challenge. And that is a political challenge. But there's also a challenge of personal responsibility. And there is the challenge of teaching oneself and teaching those in your household about the truth of what has really happened in this country, the truth of uh, from slavery to Reconstruction to Jim Crow um, to the war on drugs to the present day and not taking that information lightly. The goal of making a difference moving forward is this, is that. Whichever path you choose, if you choose the path of separatism, if you choose the path of wanting to be a part of the you know, a social collective, um, and I'll just say this from a, a job perspective, for example, whether you're an entrepreneur or you want to work for someone, the fact remains is that both the entrepreneur uh, or I don't say small business, however you want to put it, both the entrepreneur and the worker have rights and those rights need to be preserved and people need to be in place to preserve those rights. Because here's the truth of the matter is that particularly among black people, there is an inclination to say that the entrepreneur is um, has more of a, a sensibility is is better than the individual who goes to work for the man. And my contention is this, is that because of the key, the common denominator between the entrepreneur and the worker, which is blackness, both those individuals are in a precarious position. And so I understand as a man who reads books, studies history um, and is able to apply those things in the present, that both those individuals are in danger and both of those individuals rights 
are always under siege. And so it's incumbent upon us to come together in the spirit of blackness to protect one another and to protect, to protect those rights. Because at the end of the day, if all of these different things that we talk about, we talk about money, power, privilege, they all fall under the umbrella of freedoms, of personal freedoms. And what America does is America always assures white people that, baby, baby, you ain't got to worry about it. Your freedom's taken care of because their freedoms are tied into the color of their skin. And so if you're not white, that's where the issue comes in. And that's the difference between Kyle Rittenhouse and Ahmaud Aubrey, among many others. Want to take a quick break. When I come back, I want to talk about Joe Biden. And if you're a Joe Biden fan, you're going to learn today. <laughs> it's making a difference. What's going on, everybody? It's Knife Wonder right here, man. And you're checking out Making a Difference with my man Ken Macon. Keep it locked. Peace. This is Donald Doe and Mike Hill Doe with Family Financial Consultants. Do you need help with Medicare, with affordable mortgage and life insurance, building an estate for your child? We provide these types of services for you and much more. As independent insurance brokers, we take pride in coming into people's homes and not only saving them money, but changing their lives. Imagine only paying a few dollars for your medicine instead of hundreds, or cutting the cost of your insurance premiums. Our goal is to provide affordable policies tailored to your individual needs. Give us a call at 803-293-8915 or 706-503-3933. Family Financial Consultants, LLC, located at 412 Edgefield Road in North Augusta, South Carolina. Agents work for companies, but a broker works for you. My name is Lauren Macon, and you are listening to Making a Difference with my handsome husband, Ken Macon. Welcome back to Making a Difference. It is the aforementioned handsome husband, Ken Macon. And yeah, I got to talk about Joe. Um, to be clear, I voted third party. And that is not a, and I told you so. That is a statement of, of freedom and expectation of my politics and understanding that, you know, we, that, that we've been taught to look at things from a Democratic and Republican perspective. And, you know, largely, if you're going to involve yourself politically, you have to affiliate yourself with one party or the other. Now, the issue with that as currently constructed is that even on a local level, the Democrats and Republicans are both committed to serving corporate interests over the interests of the people on a local level. Think about how many tax breaks a corporation gets compared to the average citizen. And so what how that is explained to us as individuals is, well, the corporation creates jobs. And so we got to you know serve the corporation. Um, in order to keep those jobs, because the jobs help you as, you know, help uh, the people, you know, to make a decent living. And that all sounds good until you look at how many different ways corporations uh, disregard and disrespect people. And I did not talk about this reality in the beginning. Um, it I'm not even going to say it's implied because I'm not going to take anything for granted on making a difference anymore. We have to deal with the realities of the pandemic that we're living in. And there's this great temptation to say, hey. We're done with COVID. Um, get your shot and get the hell out of the way, which is a Joe Biden mandate, to be clear. And I don't know. And we'll get into mandates and all that just stuff in just a second. But we have to deal with the reality of a few things. The first being that we are still in a pandemic. People are still dying from COVID. Um, people have died from COVID to the tune of 700,000, excuse me, 750,000 Americans and counting. We are seeing spikes in places like Michigan. Um COVID, the rise in COVID cases, like we have never seen them during any point in the pandemic. And yet there are people who say, get back to work, get the shot, 
and get the hell out of the way and get back to normal with the understanding that we will never get back to normal, largely because of the allowances that we give to corporations that we do not give to everyday people. And so we act like, oh, you know, people are people don't want to work. People just want handouts. And you know who gets some more handouts than anyone else? Corporate America. And the only way that you can challenge that is you have to challenge that collectively. I'm not going to simply say that you challenge that at the ballot box because I know that's not true. There has to be a collective understanding, a working class understanding of what it takes to hold corporations accountable. And what I mean is it's it's simply like this. It is about power. And how much power are you willing to let individuals have? Are you willing to let corporations have? And it goes against the corporation's self-interest to allow individuals to have power. And so you have to understand that when you walk into a job, when you walk into a job, how much freedom are you forfeiting by walking into that job? How much freedom are you trading for money? And uh, that is largely what happens on jobs. I mean, that's that's what's happening um, in the present. No, not, that's what's always happened. And that's why you've had the presence of unions. That's why you've had made. That's why management and labor negotiations have gone the way have gone the way that they've gone. You know, during the course of um, American history, during its, uh, the course of capitalist history, and understands that union and understand that unions are still present. Um, I look at what's going on at John Deere. Look what's going on at Kellogg's. Look what's going on in a lot of different places since the pandemic. You don't hear about a lot of them because unless you know it reaches the you know, unless it's like a John Deere or these type of folks, you're not going to hear about it on the nightly news. And even still, you're not going to hear about it on, on the nightly news for one simple reason. Think about what. How it empowers an individual to know, hey, my job can't treat me a certain type of way. How many times in the last 18 months have you felt like, man, my job's really let me down, whether it's they brought you back uh, into the middle of covid, whether you never got a break from covid, whether it was wages lost. Whether it was, I mean, any different, any, I mean, any type of thing where you felt like you've been violated in terms of how much you've been paid, in terms of um, how safe you felt at the job. And I should also mention that even within that framework, again, there's race and there's class because we have to talk about and we don't talk about this nearly enough in terms of who's working and who's not working. The people who are frustrated as hell, the people who are basically conducting a general strike are the people who really are helping hold this country together. Your service people, your retail people, uh, your people that are restocking the shelves, the folks that had to go into their place of employment. A lot of us, some of us were able to sit home for, some of us are still sitting at home because we have the luxury of doing that through our jobs. And I don't condemn you for that. Only thing I ask is that you understand the plight of people who never got a break, who aren't getting a break and who need help and who should be getting help from the government because that is what the government is designed to do. Now we can go back to that quote I shared with you earlier from the boy and you can say, well, systems, um, system can't fail those it's never designed to protect. And I come back to you once again saying systems got to change, but this is about Joe Biden and this is about Joe Biden, who he is, who he was, who he forever will be. And he's a Dixiecrat. He was a Dixie crack when Kamala, uh, Kamala Harris was jamming him up on the primary stage uh, about um, busing and segregation. Uh, he was a Dixie crack when he spoke at Strom Thurmond's funeral. Uh, he was a Dixie crack when he said, if you uh, are, if you don't vote for me, you're not black. Jim Crow Joe, baby. And so you have to understand when you elect a man like that to office, I don't care if 
and AKA is his vice president, there's a certain standard. And you can't say that Joe didn't tell you. Oh, Joey told you. Joey said, oh, all that Black Lives Matter stuff that happened last summer? Nah, dog. We gonna give some money to the police. Student debt? Yeah, I'll eliminate your student debt. Psych. And understand that a lot of his commentaries about student debt were initially had based on the fact that he was going up against his primary uh, his primary challenger on the Democratic side was Bernie Sanders. And so he had to have some type of commentary on student debt. And listen, if you have student debt and you voted for jo- for Joe Biden, you played yourself. You straight up played yourself because Bernie Sanders would have gotten rid of your student debt on day one. No doubt about it. At any rate, we press on. Uh, people voted for Joe Biden because he wasn't Trump. And this is why, again, as I talk about black folks, and I, I'm going to get very specific to a black agenda in one of these future episodes. Shout out Crystal Franks. Crystal said, hey, man, I need a black agenda episode. I'm working on it, man. My queue, the queue is crazy right now, man. Um, look, I, the way I, I frame it with people and I talk to people just about life in general, man, and just, you know, we all got a lot of stuff going on. It's just about getting my marbles together, man. It's trying to get my marbles together. Um, there's always been great potential in this podcast. There's always been great potential just with me as a person, man. And getting ready to tap into it. It's going to be amazing. And you all are going to see the residual effects of that. And I just, as like I said, it's this brief moment. Thanks to everybody who has supported. We'll continue to support making a difference. People that root for me. I got to shout out Maine in that same breath. Maine. <laughs> um, Maine Bradley. Listen, more than a master's podcast. I've talked about it a thousand times. Uh, that young man's been so diligent in what he's done with that program. Uh, pause this podcast real quick. Uh, do a search uh, for more than the masters. Uh, more than the masters podcast. Follow that wherever you can follow it. Wherever you listen to podcasts, do that now. Pulsates expeditiously. It is and will continue to be greatly appreciated. But shout out, man. Love you, bro. Um, back to it. Joe Biden. We uh, votes for. Well, I don't want. I don't want to make this a we y'all thing. I'm just being silly, man. People voted for Joe Biden because he wasn't Trump, and that was dangerous. Because Joe Biden is Trump in so many different ways in terms of policy. When you, whether you look at international policy, whether you look at uh, local, whether whether you look at social policy, there are a lot of similarities. There are a lot of sim- similarities in how they feel about policing. There are a lot of similarities in how they dictate to African Americans and understand that whether you allow an African American to hold hold an office, let's just be real about black folks getting into highfalutin seats and what that has generally meant. Like this is America and just, you know, we can like this, you know, we can talk, we can talk, let's talk real. Anytime, you, anytime a black man's put in that position, he's expected to be a custodian. And not only is he expected to be, he or she expected to be a custodian, they're also expected to be subservient to whiteness overall. And it doesn't matter what position they hold that. And I mean, that's true, whether you're a supervisor at your local job or whether you're a supervisor at a federal job. And I mean, you can look at Kamala Harris as a perfect example. Kamala Harris was all these different types of things of, to, you know, it was so many things, so many people. She won and, you know, folks were wearing their pearls and chucks. And I was like, OK, all right, let's see how this goes. I'm lo- I've looked at her history. I'm looking at who she's affiliating, her- affiliating herself with. And this is not going to go well. Verily, it is not going well. She's lar- the term that's been used in the media now is sidelined. But she allowed herself to be sidelined. By aligning herself with Joe Biden, because that is who Joe Biden fundamentally is. And I can look at Joe Biden. I can excuse me. I can look at Kamala Harris. I can look at Stacey Abrams. I can look at Keisha Lance Bonhams. And the theme is the same. These are women who are individually intelligent, but 
are ambitious in a way and ambition is not the issue. It's just that when you're ambitious at the expense of your people, I, I look at like a Stacey Abrams, who was so powerful, who uh, is a great orator, who has been in politics for a very long time, who even within the context of fair fight can engage the can engage the battle of voting rights in such a different way. And let's understand that voting rights is such a low bar. And what I mean by that is, is that voting rights does not guarantee you food on the table, does not guarantee you a job, does not guarantee you shelter. It is a, a function of human rights, but there are so many there are more urgent and pressing human rights. And so as we and this, again, goes back to just America and how I mean, to me, it's this simple. Oh, you don't want me to vote. Understand what that means contextually understand what that means collectively and how we as black people are going to respond to you not letting us vote. And that is a stern rebuke and a stern message for Democrats and Republicans alike. It is not sensical for black people to engage politically the way that they do without any return on investment as a collective. And that's why I vote third party. And that's why I will continue to vote party to uh, continue to vote third party until something dramatically changes and there is nothing in the milk that's suggesting that it's going to dramatically change. So what has to happen is what has always happened is that we have to take on the proverbial underground railroad to find our way to freedom. What does that mean politically? That means mobilizing locally. That means organizing not so much with like-minded people, but goal-minded people. Like-mindedness is hella overrated. Goal-mindedness. I mean, that's gold. And what you find when you align yourself with goal-minded people is that it widens your horizons. It makes you a, a better thinker. It makes you a more critical thinker. Um, it makes you actually, it actually makes you more of a, um, of a of sociable, of a sociological person because you understand, hey, you feel this way. You're thinking this way based on your experiences. And I'm thinking this way based on my experiences. So how can we create, how can we find commonalities and how can we unify off of, off of those things? There's a way that you can unify off distinctions. Again, it goes back to working class. But that's the really the nature of working class politics is that, hey, we coming into this place um, with, from from different, you know, with different ideas from different places, you know, with different mindsets. But we're here to solve a goal. And it's easy for Americans to align interests like that when it comes to sports. It's easy for Americans to align interests like that when it comes to, you know, certain, um, you know, patriotic gestures. But. In terms of creating lasting social change, it is very difficult for us to get on the same page in that way. And that is to the collective disadvantage of all of us, but particularly is to the disadvantage of black folks, because civil rights in this country starts with black folks. Every um, political entity, every racial gender, um, all, you know, LGBTQ, um, we talk about Hispanics, all these uh, gay rights, all these different groups have been able to see civil rights gains largely on the backs of the black struggle while at the same time black folks have not seen those gains black folks have not seen profound civil rights gains since 19 since the 1960s since the voting rights act and don't say well you elected a black president again that's not tangible we're talking about tangible gains this is why i'm always talking about reparations this is why i'm always talking about closing the wealth gap oh man and that that discussion right there, I can link you to, um, I can tell you of a future discussion that's going to be on this podcast better than I can tell you, man. Um, reparations is the way, man. Reparate, and again, it goes back to the same discussion that we have in terms of, you know, um, 
workers and uh, the unemployment rate and all these different things that people talk, don't know what the hell they're talking about on the news. There is a wealth gap. There is a lack of appreciation gap. And those things, ha- there's a lack of trust gap. There's a, well, excuse, let me rephrase that. There's a trust gap. There's a wealth gap. There's a communication gap. And until those gaps are restored, people are going to continue to uh, gener- have a general strike. And I'm with it all the way. Boondocks, one of my favorite uh, shows of all time. Uh, little man Riley said, pay what you owe, Santa. And that's my energy here for it, man, as it relates to the government, as it relates to the establishment. Pay what you owe. When I see Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and these fellas going to space, what I realize is, is <laughs> they go into space on our backs because they haven't paid what they owe. And that's why you're not going to see me like waving the flag of capitalism, because I understand in capitalism, those guys right there eat off my back at my expense. And people say, well, that's the collateral. Debt. And that's the ignorance of the commentary, because particularly for a black man, you got to understand without slavery, there is no capitalist system. So understand that this whole thing is on your back is on our collective backs. Now I know some people say, well, Hey, you know, maybe I can, you know, uh, maybe my jump shot is impeccable. You know, maybe my business is incredible. I can rap like hell. And so you feel like because you're able to separate yourself that, Hey, the system works. No, you're an anomaly. And I appreciate you and your ability, you know, with, you know, being able to be a Neo, if you will, in the matrix, but understand Neo is not real. <laughs> Because collectively, people are suffering, man. But long story short about Joe Biden, man. Joe Biden's going to be a one-term president. Uh, You can count me on that. Joe Biden is actually creating the stage for a 2024. Let me say for 2022. Uh, Vegas is Vegas is actually already uh, placing the bets. They're they're saying it's likely that Republicans are going to take um, the House and the Senate back um, and understand that the Democrats currently have the House, the Senate, uh, president and vice president seats and they're doing absolutely nothing because they're trying to uh, create bipartisan relationships with a terrorist um, with a terrorist political party and I and I talk, I'm talking about the Republican Party in its totality because I know some people want to say well that's Trump's side of the Republican Party nah that whole party's been hijacked um, Tea Party energy it's been there since Obama was in office the entirety of the of the Republican the totality of the Republican Party um, it is a terrorist party, and that is the party that Democrats want to have a bipartisan relationship with. And so what we, what we have now is, is that we have concessions that are being made that won't have to be made because by 2024, the Republicans will have the entirety. They will have <laughs> they'll have the presidency, vice presidency, and they'll have the House and the Senate. And they petty as hell. So you know what that means. Going to close out with a quick word after the break. You're listening to Making a Difference. It's the West Coast Diva. Tell them, follow the leader. It's yo, yo. You're listening to Making the Difference with Ken Making. Do you need insurance for your car, home, life, or business? Then trust Jay Harvey, your Allstate insurance agent in Evans, Georgia. He opened his agency in 2017 because he loves helping and working with people. As a husband and father, he understands the importance of helping families prepare for the unexpected. You can get a personalized insurance quote today by calling 706-434-8106. Jay's office is located at 3118-8 William Few Parkway in Evans, Georgia. Remember, you're in good hands with Jay Harvey, your neighborhood Allstate insurance agent.
Told you I'd be right back. You're listening to Making a Difference with Ken Macon. Wanted to share this quick anecdote, and I actually shared this on my Facebook page, uh, or I should say the uh, Making a Difference Facebook page. You can find that at facebook.com backslash making a difference show. Facebook.com backslash M A K I N a difference show, S H O W. I don't know who needs to hear this. And actually, shout out Dr. CBS on Twitter. Um, her handle is at Black Left AF. So that lets you know what time it is. B L A C K L E F T A F. She says, I don't know who needs to hear this, but you're a human, not a brand. Contrary to the neoliberals, <laughs> contrary to the neoliberalization of life, it is perfectly acceptable not to commodify or monetize your interests, hobbies, talents, personality, and insights, economic necessity notwithstanding. Interesting commentary. And a commentary that I posted and largely agreed with. The economic necessity notwithstanding piece is an important part, an important point of reference for black folks because that is always a challenge with us. And there was a young man who actually commented on the post and said, this is the last thing black people need to hear. Economic necessities are real life. You either commodify your own interests or be a wage slave working for the interests of others. My response, um, economic necessities are real life. So is being human. The medium on this page is fighting for the collective rights, fighting for collective rights for the sake of individual freedoms. That's why reparations and healthcare are such important points of reference for this page. There's so many different commentaries that we have about capitalism and you know again within the framework of black folks you know talk about black uh, black capitalism and you know fred Hampton. you can look up fred hampton for his thoughts on black capitalism my thought is simply this there's a saying that old folks use and it's about and actually my um my maternal grandfather used to uh used i say you have to work your head out of the lion's mouth you know easy until you get out of there and I, I really feel like that's the plight of black Americans. And again, you know, whether ideologically you believe and, you know, if you believe that, hey, getting a bunch of money is the way to if you believe financial freedom is the way to social freedom. Um, if you believe that separatism is the way to uh, social and spiritual freedom, understand that both of those individuals are both right and they're both wrong. Because history has shown that where it has those, you know, it has worked in some instances for the individual, but collectively it has failed us. And so in order to have a collective solution, uh, we need to have a collective strategy. And when I look at a commentary like Dr. CBS's, what I realize is that as a collective and even some of us as individuals, we don't have a sense of self. We don't have a sense of what's real. And that's something that I truly think we need to work on. Um, the holidays are approaching. And so, you know, there's a lot of hustle and bustle that's going on. And certainly that's going to be intensified with, you know, some of the supply chain issues that we're hearing about and that are being reported, whether true or not. The fact remains that the holidays are supposed to be a period of reflection. And I think this is a time that we all need to step back and particularly as black people. And we need to reassert our right to be human beings. There was a great movie that came out, a great documentary that came out a few years ago. Um, and it was actually, it was narrated and commentated in some, in many ways by James Baldwin and said, I am not your Negro. I'm not your Negro on, you know, in the field or in the arena of sports. I'm not your Negro in the workplace. I am not your Negro to be used for the sake of your political agenda. I'm a human being. 
And because you're choosing to use my blackness against me, then I am in essence forced to organize with those who are like minded or who are similar in the term in terms of blackness. And we're going to come together in the spirit of attaining the same goal, which is attaining social, financial and spiritual freedom for African-Americans. There are sacrifices that are going to be made for sure. But I think there is there are important distinctions to be had between making personal sacrifices versus commodifying oneself. And I think all of us are able to discern that line. Whether you are an entrepreneur, whether you are someone who works um, for uh, for someone else. And again, this is this is the power of language. You know, you say we that person at, at your job, who's your uh, leader or supervisor, you know, there's a certain destiny in calling a person boss. And I think there's there are connotations, you know, when you call a person a boss and, and vice versa. So um, <laughs> I, I was and I'll just say this and I, I know I'm just, you know, this is kind of a tone of line between existential and, you know, between just spiritual and just a lot of different things. I think about this country and there was a I want to say one of the first editions of the Constitution um, somebody bought recently. I think they paid forty three million dollars for it. And I looked at that and I shook my head because the truth of the matter is this is that the Constitution has been paid for um, largely with the blood, sweat and tears of black folks. And there is a debt that can and must be repaid. And a lot of whether that debt is going to be repaid is up to the consciousness, the collective consciousness of black people. And, you know, I've heard about many disputes and many friendships lost over, you know, $50 or $100 or man, you knew you owe me that money from that game. We bet. And I told you such and such team was going to win. And we get mad over that, but we're not mad over trillions of dollars that are owed black people um, in because of the historic and the perpetual wrongs that have been done against us in this country, by this country, for this country. And that is the challenge I leave you with today, as always. Um, it's the challenge to be better, uh, to be better as an individual, um, to be better as a collective, um, to be better um, with a specific understanding and an agenda and a focus. And I understand that focusing is hard as hell with everything that's going on. But ultimately, it's a matter of survival. And as I'm look trying to get my marbles together, I know you guys are too. Um, the only thing I can leave you with after that is my love and I hope for peace for you and yours as we approach this holiday season. Love you guys, man. Never stop loving you. Peace. God bless. The revolution will not be televised. You see, a lot of times people see, 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 see battles and skirmishes on TV and they say, aha, the revolution is being televised. Nah, the results of the revolution are being televised. The first revolution is when you change your mind about how you look at things and see that there might be another way to look at it that you have not been shown. What you see later on is the results of that, but the revolution, that change that takes place will not be televised.